Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 17 for October 6th, 2010. Welcome, Donovan. And welcome Hello, to our, Ken. Welcome to our many listeners. Ah, uh, yes. By this time, we should have tons. Uh, yes. So, we had a little, uh, a little sabbatical, a little time off from the recording because of some technical difficulties. Right, but all the future people listening to this, it'll be seamless. It will be seamless. Episode 16, they listened to yesterday, and then now they're listening to episode 17. But in real time, it was probably eight weeks. <laughs> it, it was months ago, exactly. It was unfortunately months ago. But, hey. So, if we're a little out of sorts, it's because it's kind of like doing the very first one again. Cause exactly. Because we've... Uh, been off the horse for a very long time. Exactly. But we've climbed back on, and we're ready to rock and roll. Okay. We are indeed. So we're going through Early Ages issue number 1213 today. Is that correct? That is correct. Pretty cool because it's a four-part um, story arc, which um, includes some very, very interesting um, guest stars in the upcoming issues. And it's very excellent to see these characters from the past. Or is it the future? Hmm. So these came out in uh, January of 98. Yes. So we have issue number 12 came out in January of 98, and 13 came out in February of 98. So this is like one of the high times of Star Trek fandom because Deep Space Nine was in full-blown production. Uh, I think it was, what, in season six at this point? Hmm. And Voyager would have been in like season four or so, and Star Trek uh, Insurrection comes out at the end of the year of 1998, so uh, it was a good time to be a Star Trek fan. Yes, especially with these fine comics being produced, and they are, they are fine comics. Good I stories. Agree. And uh, Dan Abnett, uh, along with Ian Edgington, are the writers of issue number 12. And uh, Dan, as you have mentioned before, Dan keeps popping up in uh, different um, science fiction franchises as a, as a writer. Uh, just uh, listened to a uh, Torchwood uh, audiobook, which was quite good, and Dan had written that one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. So when I saw, saw his name, I mean, I assume it's the same guy, same name, it was like, hey, yeah, and it was a pretty good, uh, a pretty good uh, Torchwood book, too. He's a good writer, and uh, the good writing of both of them Definitely shows through in these comic book issues. Okay, so uh, guest penciler Michael Collins. Oh, by the way, I'm doing the 12. Donovan will do 13. Uh, Patrick Zercher is normally uh, the penciler, so Michael Collins is the, is the guest penciler. Greg Adams is the inker. Marie Javins, color. Janice Chang, lettering. Bobby Chase, editor. And the editor and uh, King Poobah is Bob Harras or Harris. Okay, let's just get right into it. So with the synopsis. Okay. Um, the cover shows number one, with a jacket draped over her shoulder, walking away from the rest of the bridge crew. The bold lettering asks the provocative question, is this the end of the road for number one? What do they mean by that? Where is she going? Why is she going? These questions will be answered. 
Let's read on. Okay, so uh, turn the page, turn the cover, and the first page is made up of a full-page panel with Chief Engineer Grace in a spacesuit on the outside of the badly damaged Enterprise saucer section. He is reporting on what is uh, a mess the Enterprise is in after the epic battle with the Chakun War Fleet in the previous issue, as you will remember. The next panel is a two-page spread showing the Enterprise and Nelson in orbital dry dock above the planet Algol at Starbase 45. The crew is working hard to repair crippling battle damage to the ship. Inside the ship, Dr. Voice of Pike on the bridge list of crew casualties. The conversation moves from letters of condolence to the fallen crew members to surely for Pike, number one who was summoned to uh, a meeting with Commodore Strickland. Scene cuts to the Commodore's office, where number one is offered command of the Nelson. She is hesitant and says she will give her answer that night. Scene cuts to the service of Algol, where go are sightseeing at the ruins of the 10,000-year-old city of Ithahahalulan. Woo! That's a hell of a name. Colt reads from a guy playing on her tricorder that tells of tomorrow, which supposedly located in the sea, could tell the champions of Algol their future. Joe finds around a glass sphere that Mia identifies as an artifact called a keepsake. Glance, gazing into it, Joe sees an image of himself in the captain's chair on the bridge of a starship. Mia sees nothing but black, which frustrates her. Meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, Sita and Nano discuss Number One's potential promotion while making repairs to the ship. Nano suggests that Sita would be a logical choice for a replacement first offer. Scene cuts to sickbay, where Number One is, seeing doc- is seeking Dr. Boyce's opinion on the promotion. The doctor encourages her to make up her own mind, but says that she'd make a fine captain. They drink a toast to the future. All possible futures. What an appropriate toast, as we will find out. In engineering, Engineer Grace and Pike meet Shane Sampson, the former assistant chief engineer on the Achilles, which is one of the ships that were lost in the previous issues, and Grace's newly assigned right-hand man. In Pike's quarters, he reads sealed orders that mean big changes. He summons Spock and Boyce to his quarters. Meanwhile on the bridge, Number One enters and is greeted by Sita, who, assuming Number One will take the Nelson, comments on how she will have to get a new nickname. Number One, annoyed by the speed of gossip, tersely says that she is staying aboard the Enterprise and leaves the bridge. The writers apparently intend to execute the Riker maneuver. Number One enters the transporter room where Pike is awaiting the arrival of someone. She informs him that she is staying, to which Pike says he is happy because he will be leaving the Enterprise in safe hands. Pike tells her he, Spock, and Dr. Boyce will be leaving the ship for an undetermined period of time. Uh, In the meantime, she will be uh, in command of the Enterprise. While Number One is in command, Starfleet has assigned a senior officer to act as a mentor to her. On cue, Admiral Robert April beams aboard the Enterprise. Pike welcomes him, and April, who says how good it is to be back on the old girl, and how he feels like he never left. Cut to Colt's quarters, where she is staring into the keepsake artifact, with Joe at her side. She is obsessed with the glimpsing into her future, particularly since Joe was able to. Her tricorder sensor sweep 
of the object triggers something in the odd crystal ball. A light show bursts out of the keepsake and sucks Colt into a vortex straight out of the room. Nothing is left in the room but Joe and the keepsake dropping to the floor. Mia awakes in her empty quarters and calls out to Joe. Dazed and confused, she is startled by a loud voice of two men brandishing odd-looking phasers and wearing odd-looking Starfleet uniforms, which, of course, we all recognize easily. The one man says she is under arrest, and the issue ends with the title of the next issue in the lower right-hand corner of the last frame, Future Tense. There you go. Issue 12, a big setup issue. Um, at, le- at least the next three issues are set up, and there's enough threads also introduced in this episode, which will go beyond the next three uh, issues. So there's an awful lot of stuff uh, teed up by this uh, issue. Yep. Good issue. Yeah, I really like this issue, and you were talking about how the uniforms look a little like, or they exactly are, the movie-era post-motion picture-style uniforms with the red uniform style. Right. First introduced, I believe, in Wrath of Khan? Yeah, first seen in Wrath of Khan, but then it gets a lot of usage. We see it in Yesterday's Enterprise, uh, which is the uniforms that Enterprise C was wearing. And also we see some flashbacks of Picard when he's captain of the Stargazer wearing the same uniform. So this had the longest life lifespan of all Star Trek uniforms, I believe. Yeah, pretty cool. I, 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 pretty cool uniforms. I would dare say that these are... These uniforms are probably my second favorite uniform of all of Star Trek. So what's your potential first? I would have to go with the gray and black from the Deep Space Nine post-first contact type uniform. Me too. Yeah, I, I do like those a lot. Uh, of course, the Wrath of Khan uniform has that cool big belt buckle. You gotta like that. With the shoulder fas- fastener that you can open up and reveal the white under tunic that you have underneath? Yep, yep, yep. So that Spock... Oh, Scotty's nephew. To get his blood on it or something, or what? You'll notice that for the rest of the Wrath of Khan, that little blood smear on Kirk's tunic uh, jumps around quite a bit uh, all the way to the very end. As the continuity isn't quite right. Yeah, so this keepsake artifact, what do you think of it? Yeah, I thought it was cool. Uh, I kind of like the idea that people could look into it and see their future. Um, don't really know why Colt was sucked into it where everybody else wasn't, though. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Um, it seems a little odd that that thing could be sitting around for 10,000 years or something and that nobody really noticed them. And everybody still knew what they were, even though it sat there for all that time. She's got an all-knowing tricorder. Yeah, and for being so all-mysterious and powerful, uh, there on the bottom of one of those pages, it seems like there's like a whole lot of them there. Uh, I don't know if that's what it's supposed to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which makes it even more of a question mark. I mean, if there's been a star base in orbit for how long? You'd think some, I mean, especially a, a known archaeological site? Well, whatever. So, uh, Captain April, the w- the original captain of the Enterprise? Yeah, April was the first captain of the Enterprise before Pike. Uh, he was only in one episode of Star Trek, the animated series, but, you know, we saw him earlier in Star Trek Early Voyages number one. And it's really cool that they're bringing him back for this story arc the, over the next several issues. It was good to see him back. Yep. And looking so svelte. Yeah, here he's drawn like a superhero. Yeah, and in all the uh, 
Star Trek encyclopedias I've ever seen, he usually is just depicted as a little picture of Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> and in the animated series, he didn't really look like Gene Roddenberry either. Um, but, like I said, in this episode, or this issue, he looks more like a, a superhero of some sort. And nothing like the great bird of the galaxy. No, not at all. But that's not the first time, because Dr. Boyce doesn't look anything like his television actor guy. Which you've given background on why that is in the past. Right, they couldn't get the rights to the character. They couldn't get the character's likeness rights. Uh, it was in the back of one of the earlier issues. So that's about all I have for this issue. Um, really, it was just set up for the the next couple issues. Um, didn't really do anything. Maybe just touched on the uh, budding romance of uh, Colt and um, Jose just a little bit. Yes. Further. Yep, and then the possibility of uh, number one leaving. And having to change her name. And, uh... Okay, so I have one more thing to say about this episode, which is, um... I, I kind of like some of the twists, especially how the, uh... the issue cover and the build-up was definitely making it sound like number one was going to leave. And then what do they do at the end? They twist it around, and she's staying, and Pike is leaving. So I thought that was kind of, uh... Um, like, like like a Penn and Teller kind of thing. They lead you in one direction, and then they do something else. Mm. So, which I it's fine. It's it's great. It's great. Mm. It's just just sometimes it seems like they're kind of messing with us, the the writers. But no, it's mm. good. They, I didn't put that together. I mean, I just assumed that they were setting up future storyline, which we'll get into here in a second with with her and Pike's relationship there. Yes. So, so it for twelve. Yep, that's all I have for 12. Bueno. Heading on to number 13 as the adventure continues in... Issue number 13, released February 98, and was titled... Is the title Future? Future Tense. Future Tense. Future Tense, yes. All right, and the uh, writing staff was the Ian Edkinton and Dan Abnett. Pistoler again, Patrick Zercher. Uh, Inker, Steve Boncus. Colorist Marie Jensen, letterer Janice Ching, editor Bobby Chase, and editor-in-chief Bob Harris. All right, so the cover shows Colt leaping from a second floor and being fired upon by Starfleet security. Uh, there's a little insert of Kirk's face with the caption, It's Captain Kirk to the rescue! <laughs> Which, just on a side note, spoiler alert, gee whiz. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyways, back to the story. So, uh, Colt is in her uh, in the crew cabin and is perplexed as to where she is. Uh, two Wrath of Khan-clad guards have her by phaser point. The guards say that she is uh, in restricted area, and that uh, then they notice that she's in an old Starfleet uniform and assume she's some sort of nutcase. As they try to grab her, she attacks them and runs free. As she navigates the empty corridors, she wonders where everyone is. And she runs smack into a huge group of tourists. She then finds out that she is in some sort of museum exhibit and that the NC-1701 Enterprise is the exhibit, or the main attraction. As she's moving through the crowd, a man in a cloak thinks to himself, What is up with that girl? She is boxed in by the guards and she leaps from the catwalk as the guards fire upon her. Uh, she is shown leaping from Enterprise to Enterprise, um, that being the USS Enterprise to the Space Shuttlecraft Enterprise to the HMS Enterprise. 
which I guess they either recreate or it is still around somewhere. Uh, while the guards are shooting at her, the the, the mysterious man earlier, uh, which, no spoiler, I won't tell you who he is, because he's always in shadow, so this mysterious man uh, is continuing to watch her, and he's commenting that uh, if she's stunned while she's in midair, she'll just fall to her death. Colt makes it out of the museum and, and into the San Francisco rainy night. The cloaked man follows her, and it, she pulls him into the bushes. There he is revealed to be... Captain, or excuse me, James Kirk. We don't know if he's captain or not. <laughs> he recognizes her as being Mia Colt, who vanished off the Enterprise. Colt and Kirk have a talk. She recaps, recaps last issue, and Kirk tells her that he knows her story. It seems that when he graduated from Starfleet Academy, instead of being assigned to the Farragut, as we know that he was in the uh, normal timeline, he was actually assigned to replace Yeoman Colt after she vanished. He served with Pike for a year. He and Pike clashed quite a bit, and start uh, and he quit Starfleet altogether, and is now working in the private sector. Uh, Colt explains that she must return, and Kirk assumes or assures her that uh, since time has no record of her returning, then she must stay. I guess to prevent some sort of time paradox. Uh, Colt is eventually able to talk Kirk into helping her. And he takes her to his ship called The Bounty. There she meets Montgomery Scott, who reads uh, from the wrong sci-fi script and says, She may not look like much, but she's got it where it counts. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of the crew uh, consists of a male trio, which I guess this... I mean, this is obviously written after Deep Space Nine, but as far as... uh, Chronologically speaking, I guess this would be the first trill in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, a female Andorian, a human female, and their names are Lamik, Yeser, and Zota. And so Zota is actually Scotty's wife. The crew give Kirk uh, a lot of grief about taking on a non-paying job, and are upset when they are heading uh, when they find out that they're heading to Agul uh, due to it being run by Klingons. Kirk gives a rousing speech, and everybody eventually agrees to go. Due to pushing the engines too hard, the bounty is forced to drop out of warp and is confronted by Klingons led by General Chang, who we all know from Star Trek VI. Uh, Chang orders the ship to be taken apart bit by bit, and the, for- the first torpedo just grazes the bounty. Kirk knows that they're just being played with. He orders the bounty to fire on the, uh, into the torpedo tube uh, just as the Klingon ship is about to fire. As we know, Pike did a few issues ago when uh, they were being attacked by the... uh, How do you pronounce their name, Ken? Chakahoon. Chakahoon. All right. The attack works and damages the Klingon ship. Just as the Klingon ship's about to destroy the bounty with phasers, the Enterprise NCC-1701A arrives with Pike in command. Uh, The bridge crew is uh, shown, and it is Ahura, Spock, Savik, Sulu, and Tyler. Uh, Pike orders the bounty to prepare to be boarded and towed back to Starfleet, and it's to be continued. Yes. Surprise ending. Yeah, so we get to see the old the old crew again. Exactly. And the old, but not so old, uh, successor version of the Enterprise, the A. Complete with interesting rectangular nacelles and everything. Yeah, with no explanation as to why there's already an A instead of a refitted 
NCC-1701. Exactly. So, I mean, as we all know, in Star Trek Three, Kirk has to destroy the Enterprise and the refitted Enterprise um, in order to kill the Klingons and save Spock. But um, in this version of the future, that Enterprise is never refit and is in a museum somewhere. Yes. Yes. So, yes, yes. Things are different. Right. Things are different. But also very similar. True. But not quite the same. I mean, just talking about that museum scene, when, when she was jumping from Enterprise to Enterprise, mm-hmm. they didn't exist at the time that this uh, comic book was written, but if they were going to go back and redo that page, they should put, you know, the NX-01 there and then the uh, Virgin Galactic <laughs> ICC Enterprise somewhere yep. in there, too, because, uh, you know, by the time we get around to publishing this, that actually might be flying. I mean, it's still supposed to be a few years out from us recording this, but you know how we like to procrastinate. At the rate we're going? Yep. So what do you think about that ICC Enterprise? That's pretty cool. I, I like that he named it Enterprise. Yep. Seems like these days everything gets named Enterprise. But the thing is, I mean, is that, is it, it well, just like the shuttle Enterprise, which never went into space, um, it was a prototype. It was, uh, so it's like, I, I think it actually rode on the back of 747s and, and might have gl- glided to the ground in a test, but it never went into space. That's so right. I just wonder if uh, if the same is going to happen with Branson's. No, I think he's planning on using it. That particular one. Yeah, that's supposed okay. to. That's still supposed to be the first one to go out in, into space, and he's oh, he's yeah. named the other ones, and I think one of them's named Voyager too. <laughs> so I mean, Voyager's obviously a a pretty popular Common. name for yeah. spacecraft. Sure. In, in the real timeline, but. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly But anyways, I just thought that would be cool Alright, what else you got on this one? It was good seeing Kirk yep. did, you think it was, nice to see. did you think it was a little spoilery That they gave away the on the cover That Kirk's going to be a big player in this And then oh yeah, for the first several pages He's just this mysterious man In a cloak yeah. Yep Yeah, but they wanted to sell issues, so yeah, I know, but yeah, they, want, they want you to spot that on the on the. Cover. But then why make a big deal about him being all cloaked if anybody who bought it already knew Would that know. Kirk's going to be in it somewhere? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I thought it was cool in the museum that they had the Phoenix. Oh, um, they had the Phoenix from First Contact. Yes, oh, I missed that. One. So Cochrane's Phoenix. It was cool seeing that. That's a nice little touches like that. Um, Where was the Phoenix? I I totally missed that. Um, after uh, Kirk and Colt were outside uh, in the rain, then they went back inside the museum to have a cup of coffee, which is really kind of funny because, um, you know, what the security guards aren't going to do anything. Well, that's <laughs> but, a good uh, point. Yeah, there's a scene where they're, they're sitting, a long shot where uh, they're, they're seated having coffee, and then if you look above them and in the back, it's the... Uh, the oh yeah, and it's actually called the Phoenix Tavern that they're having the coffee in. Oh, really? Yeah, it says oh, okay. nice place this Phoenix Tavern. Oh, there you go. Okay. But yeah, I totally missed that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I see that. This Phoenix Tavern. There you go. Cool. Yeah. There you go. But I really like how they messed with the timeline and said that because she disappeared, Kirk Kirk's timeline or Kirk had to take her place. Right. And because he's not a good looker like her, and he's not his best friend like uh, the the other yeoman, right. they clashed. 
they did. Two leaders aboard one ship. There's going to be trouble. And as we've seen, um, at least this this cartoon series does depict um, Pike at time to be kind of a jerk. Yeah, he's kind of... I mean, he may, re- he may have reasons to be, but eh, kind of a jerk at times. Yeah, I agree. So, my big complaint with the artwork in this one is uh, Scotty. Yeah. He's, uh, he's quite a bit bigger than he was in any of the movies, really. I mean, they just made him look really out of shape. <laughs> oh, come on. I mean, I know that... In, in that radiation uniform, he looked like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. He's a big guy. He's a big guy, but... I mean, if you're going to glorify everybody else who's wearing a costume, I mean, yeah. everybody else looks like, you know, not this art. I mean, this this is the normal artist, right? Right. So, I mean, the artwork's not quite as comic booky as the, the 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 guy in the last issue. Right. I mean, I think this looks more realistic than than the other one. Yeah, I think you I think you're right. But yep. I don't know. He just looked a little larger than I'm used to seeing him. Right. He does look big. And he has a goatee, so does that mean he's evil? <sighs> he's from the evil dimension! Look out! <laughs> like you, Donovan, do you still have your goatee? I do. And, it is the evil Donovan! And I'm still evil. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so I, I think the um, I think the Bouncy is a pretty cool-looking ship from certain angles. Yeah, it has like its... It has like nacelles, and it has yep. these two big vents on the bottom. So. Right. It looks like intake, like jet intake things, right? And then it's got nacelles that are uh, oriented a little differently yeah. from... Uh, well, I guess the orientation is kind of flat, kind of like uh, Enterprise D in a way. But, yeah, anyway, it's it's different, but the again, the same. And then the uh, bridge, I assume the bridge is that, uh, that, that round, dome-topped Captain America shield kind of shaped uh, thing. I think the the bounty looks pretty cool. It has interesting pieces. It looks a little bit it looks a little bit like a Hot Wheels car I had when I was a kid, uh, with nacelles put on it and that kind of stuff. And it looks kind of like a small Millennium Falcon because it has the little pronged front, right? Yeah. And it, so yeah. it's like a little small Millennium Falcon with nacelles, two nacelles on the top on either side, and then these weird dorsal vent things on the bottom. <sighs> they're like yes. They're like, or actually, I guess that would be not dorsal. What's the oh. opposite of dorsal? Ventral. But anyway, so on the underside of it are these weird tube, tube type yeah. vents. It looks like jet engine intake. Yeah, but I'm sure that's the ram scoop, like like the Enterprise E had in uh, Star Trek Insurrection. Right. The when ram start, scoops. Yeah, when they started scooping up the. Uh, the Briar Patch, right? <laughs> when Picard or when Riker's controlling the Enterprise with a friggin' joystick, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's it somehow was more dramatic when Picard controlled the Enterprise uh, through that asteroid field, right? Instead of just I'm gonna take it manual mode, and then that joystick pops out of the middle. That's <laughs> oh, great. So speaking of Star Wars, did you catch all the Star Wars references in this issue? Yeah, a few of them. You mentioned some of them. 
Yeah, mentioned Scotty saying she may not look like much, but she's got it where it counts. Yep. Which Han Solo tells uh, tells Luke, and then um, I guess when Kirk is being convinced that uh, he should help her, she promises him a reward and more than he can imagine. <laughs> Says, "I don't know. I can imagine quite a lot." Yep. Yep. And then. I, I thought that the ship kind of looked a little Millennium Falconish, so mm-hmm. I don't know if that's intentional. Well, just little little nods to another favorite franchise, I'm sure, for the writers. But speaking of franchise, Chang coming back, what'd you think? Um, yeah, it's good. It's great. Yeah, let's trot him out again, Christopher Plummer. Yeah. Anyways, I thought it was a nice tie-in with uh, the movie series. Ex- yep. And speaking of which, what time do you think this is supposed to be in the normal timeline? It would be after the Wrath of Khan, right? Because Savick's there? Mm, sure, yes. Because she graduated in the Wrath of Khan, right? From Starfleet? Because... Uh, that was the first time we saw her. Right, but she was doing the Kobayashi Maru, and mm. and the Enterprise was like a training ship at the at the beginning. Yes, it was a training crew. Right, and she looks like Christy Alley and not uh, Robin Curtis, so that's what made me think that she's. Uh, this is right after Wrath of Khan. <laughs> uh, you're probably right. You're probably right. The Chekhov's not on the bridge, so I thought, well, he must be still commander of the Reliant, as he was at the beginning of uh, the Wrath of Khan. Uh, he was one of the officers on the Reliant. I thought they called, they called him commander. Well, okay. When you said command, the Reliant, I thought you meant he was the the captain. Well, no, but... I, I thought I said commander of the Reliant. Oh, commander. I, you probably did. Right, because I don't remember what the uh, gentleman's name was, was who was the captain, but who I kill thought. himself. Yeah. yeah. So I always thought that uh, Chekhov, out of all of them who, who never get promoted, I always thought Chekhov was the one who got demoted. Because he's he's commander of a, a ship, and then he comes back to the Enterprise, and he's what fourth or fifth banana again. <laughs> <laughs> again, in the, back at the navigation station. Right. What, wasn't he? Wasn't he weapons officer in uh, in the the movie? You know, right. The first movie. Yeah, because uh, the the bald woman, I forgot her name. Uh, Delia. That wasn't her name. What was her name? I don't remember. But yeah, she was she was uh, yeah. his old Sulu was helmsman. Always. But navigator normally controls the weapons, or not? I don't remember them ever in the original show. Who kept on pressing the button? I th- I think I saw Sulu press the button once or twice to uh, yeah, fire stuff. I do too. Hmm. So that's why I was curious because I mean in the motion picture they had that other weapons station that was kind of in the back that Chekhov manned. Right. Because right. he had to shoot the photon torpedoes when they were in the the wormhole. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> to get out of the wormhole. Yes. Boy, that, that, that was a piece of gratuitous. Who cares? Exactly. Anyway, whatever. Hey, you know, we need to do something right around here. It's getting kind of dull. Wormhole! <laughs> Which makes it worse because the wormhole was so dull. Yeah, that really wasn't a good movie. 
It was, I think it had a good, prim- well, it, it was supposed to originally be an hour long. It was supposed to be a pilot for Star Trek Phase 2. And then they were like, hey, let's beef it up and make it a two-hour movie. So, Mistake. Yeah. Mistake. But... It wasn't horrible. No. But it could have been better. They, they, been. they fixed everything for Wrath of Khan. <laughs> they certainly did. Yeah, Wrath of Khan was great. So okay. last thing about Wrath of Khan. So do you think because <laughs> Kirk was not captain of the Enterprise when they found the, the space siege ship, do you think maybe Pike treated him a little bit better and didn't just maroon him on a City Alpha 5, so therefore he won't uh, go all nuts? He was nuts before. True. So maybe because of this alternate history, uh, Botany Bay? Well, yeah. Is that it? The, bo- the ship? Yeah. The Botany Bay, yeah. So right. maybe it's not found yet in this alternate. Maybe it's uh, not. Sure. Maybe no one ever finds it. Maybe it keeps on going. That would suck. That would suck. Maybe alternate alternate Picard will find him later. Oh my God! <laughs> we'll see what Picard handles him any better? That's exactly what I was wondering. How you know with the the new movie timeline? Oh yeah. Will I mean, they, they find movie timeline con? <laughs> <laughs> they might, but there's just so many other possibilities. Right. Yeah, they're not going to rehash old storylines, especially ones they rehashed on the movies. I mean, unless they. I don't know. Put a really interesting spin on it. I mean, why should they bother? I don't know. Or, I mean, at least Khan. I mean, there's lots of other interesting characters that were introduced in the TV series that they could revisit, but... Eh, mm. whatever. I think they should bring uh, Amanda back. Oh, she's dead. Or Tuvok. Oh, he's probably dead, too. He is a Vulcan. Yeah, and he was probably on Vulcan when it blew up, along with Savick and all of her other people. Actually, Savick probably would be on... Uh, we didn't read that one yet, have we? No. I don't think. All right. All right well, then uh, I'm giving stuff away. Don't. All right. Are we done with this issue? I think we are. Since we haven't been talking about it for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we stopped a while ago. We just went meandering on our own way. Okay. So uh, the next issue is going to be called Past Imperfect. And I have not read that one yet. I yes. somehow skipped it. Well, you will get back to it, read it, and be ready for episode number 18 of yep. Star Trek Comic Book Review. Hey, before you get too too big into the uh, the dropping off, let, I just want to talk about some, uh, some novels that were coming out at this All time. Right. One of them was uh, an original series novel called As- Assignment Eternity Ooh. by Greg Cox. And uh, Greg Cox... Uh, would eventually write in 2001 the eugenics war books. Oh. So what's funny is that, and I didn't know this until just now, that this assignment eternity is uh, about Gary Seven coming back up to the 23rd century to help Kirk with something that has to do with Romulans and the whole unification type thing. So that's kind of cool. And then obviously Greg Cox uses – Gary Seven quite a bit in the Eugenic War books. Uh, sure, that, I sure. think you've read the first two, right? Not the yep. third. The third one's based on just Khan's time from the end of Space Seed up to the beginning of Star Trek Two, which which I haven't got around to reading either. But the first two books I thought were really good. Yeah. Which had good. to do with Khan and Gary Seven and everybody else from the '60s uh, on to the '90s um, in that timeline. 
Right. All right. So uh, the other novels that came out in January was Voyager um, called Echoes. Um, I haven't read that one. And then um, in February, there was a uh, Next Generation uh, version of like Starfleet Academy, which was kind of like the next generation, the next next generation of uh, cadets coming up. And it was right. called uh, The Best and Brightest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a Deep Space Nine called Vengeance, which I haven't had a chance to, to look at yet. But, but uh, that Breast and Bitus is kind of cool because it kind of tied in with a – it was kind of like a next generation version of a video game that came out in the nineties uh, called Starfleet Academy, mm-hmm. which they also had a novel of. So I kind of liked it because it was like the next generation version of, of that storyline. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that was it uh, for January and February of 98. Cool. 14 and 15 is next. And we'll do that as part of episode 18. And uh, we will see how imperfect the past is. Yeah. Oh, one real quick question. Yes. And I'll bring it up again next week. But out of all the time travel devices, why are they having to go back to this planet to get her back in time if it's so dangerous? So why don't they just go to the, the Guardian of Forever or <laughs> slingshot around the friggin' sun or any of the other time travel devices that they should have at their disposal? So think about it, Ken, and get you back don't with know, You don't know in this timeline whether they uh, even have encountered the Guardian of Forever. You're absolutely correct. I don't know. But... However, and have they discovered the slingshot around the sun trick? You don't know. I don't know. It's just you something to know. ponder on while, uh, while we wait to talk more about it next week. Excellent. With bated breath, my friend. Yep. All right. Take care, everybody, and uh, see you next time. Sounds good. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get